Wait a minute, why, why are these books here? I'm not sure. I would imagine that this author, Ellison, is black. That's me, Ellison. Yeah. He is me, and he and I are black. Oh, bingo. No, no bingo, Ned. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. And if you disagree, join the discussion at The Rank Podcast on Twitter or X, threads, Instagram, and TikTok on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com or at our email address, uh, therankwithjohnandzach at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at The Rank Podcast. That's patreon.com slash The Rank Podcast. And you can check out clips or full episodes on our YouTube channel, The Rank with John and Zach. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. I have to say, I am sensing the irony in us ranking this movie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> do that. Uh, well, you know. We're two white guys ranking this movie. It well, feels I, interesting. I thought that that it was a very brave movie, a necessary movie. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We just we really need to be listening to black voices now. We really do. Uh, quiet down, you two, please. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this was a brave and necessary movie. It was. It was. It was great that it highlighted unheard voices. You know. It highlighted unheard voices. Honestly, what's interesting to me about this, I mean, obviously some of it was very clearly like black, but I could I could picture a white guy making this argument too, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. No, it was actually, yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but it was kind of interesting because it wasn't like just... How do I want to say this? I don't know. We'll talk about it when we get to it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, why don't you give us an agenda? Um, no. <laughs> Are you really just refusing? <laughs> <laughs> not this time, bucko. It's not expecting you to say no. <laughs> I wasn't either. It just came out. <laughs> All right, I can well, do it if you want. Um, I can do it if you really okay, don't you, want. Yeah, no, you do it. All right. Well, in every episode, we do a little bit of banter. Um, you, I think we got a little bit of that. And, and then uh, Zach refuses to do the agenda. <laughs> every time. <laughs> and then uh, we we, uh, we give a little summary of the movie, and we go into the potent notables, which is just some interesting facts and tidbits about the movie. And then we do the movie overview, which, spoiler alert, is going to be us talking about the entire plot from beginning to end. And then we do the namesake of the show, The Rank, which is uh, where we rank the movie on a in 10 categories on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best. The cumulative score between the two of us is what the rank is. And we find out what the best movie, best, best picture nominee of all time is, but also the best, best picture nominee of, uh, of that year. In this case, 2023. And today we're ranking American fiction, the 2023 best picture nominee. We assume starring Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross. Is it Issa Rae or Issa Rae? You know, I'm not sure. I thought it was Issa Rae, but... Uh, I thought it was, too. So I'm going to say Issa Rae. Very white of us to not know. 
<laughs> and Sterling K. Brown. Well, it fits. So it was adapted from the novel Erasure by Percival Everett, and it was adapted by Cord Jefferson, who also directed it. Uh, and normally I would tell you now what it won and, uh, and what it was nominated for, but we don't know that at the time of recording. Actually, in eight days, eight days from this recording, or seven, day, eight, seven or eight days, it's, anyway, about a week, we'll find how, out what the nominees are. How many, how many days? <laughs> I need a specific amount. I think it's eight days. I think it's seven days. We'll okay. see who's right. Yeah, we'll see. In American fiction, we follow the story of novelist Thelonious Ellison, nicknamed Monk. After several anger-fueled confrontations with students and faculty, he is forced to take a leave of absence, which provides him with the opportunity to re rekindle relationships with his family. Monk ultimately must decide if he will let his anger at the world consume him or live within, or live within it and allow himself to be loved. So, well, as you all know, and as we promised, we're ranking all the nominees for this year and getting them done before the telecast on March 10th. Uh, I'm excited to find out what the true best picture of the 2023 releases is going to end up being, according to the rank. Uh, we've done five of them so far. We've recorded yeah. five, which we don't know will be nominated, but we have a strong suspicion that they will be. So this is actually the sixth one. How do you think it's been going? It's been going good. For this year's nominee, I feel like it's a really good year, like shockingly good. I, all these movies are quite strong. And, and you know, I, I've actually seen several movies that I would be happy were if they're nominated and they're we haven't even done them because like nobody is talking about them so like i don't know just i've been very happy going to the movies this year yeah it's it's fascinating too because i mean you know we did 2004 and i would say that one was pretty weak you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and 1947 was not spectacular either mm -hmm. really um 2015 was a really good year though oh yeah that one was so it's just interesting because you know, coming out of the pandemic, you I don't know if I necessarily thought that there would be a lot because it seems like movies nowadays, like the expectation is that a good movie isn't going to make money. So I, I, I'm expecting that soon we're not going to get many more of these. That's, that's, a, that's a fun idea. It's pretty sad, but, uh, you know, um, I mean, thankfully, two really good movies made a lot of money this year. Yeah. So. Maybe we'll get to see more things like that, more original ideas. I just have this, I have a sneaking suspicion. I don't know about you, but I think that the best picture according to the rank for 2023 is mm -hmm. not going to be what ends up winning it. Yeah, I think I think that is very possible given the buzz about the other award shows, which we've had a couple of already. Right. Of course, we don't know where this one's going to end up. But anyway, all right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's get to it. Let's go into the potent notables. So, obviously, I don't have the full box office results yet for American fiction because it is still in theaters. As a matter of fact, we saw it, you and I both saw it last weekend. Mm -hmm. But for where it's at right now, it has not been released internationally yet. So, we only have domestic figures. And as of January 15th, it has made $5.6 million. Really? That's all? Yeah, and, and I mean, it only just went to wide release this weekend. So, mm. you know, I said it went wide, but it didn't really. It's only on 625 screens. Jesus. So it made $1.9 million on those 625 screens. It's, it's fascinating that they still haven't put it to, like, wide release. 
Yeah, when's this movie coming out? You got <laughs> to put it out if you want anybody to see it. I mean, it, it's, it gained 511 theaters. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely significantly more than it was. But like Mean Girls and The Beekeeper mm-hmm. both came out this weekend. And uh, Mean Girls was on 3,791 theaters. Uh, or in, and The Beekeeper was in 3,303. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the budget for this was 20 to 25 million dollars based on what i found mm-hmm. so i hope it starts making some money yeah i'm sure they i feel like they're holding off till they till they announce the nominees and then they're gonna be like here it is this movie you you've only just heard of it here it is <laughs> now i there was there weren't many potent notables on this mm-hmm. I, I had trouble finding Pote Notable. So since this is the first movie that we're ranking that was released under Orion Pictures, mm-hmm. which is under the umbrella of MGM, which is under the umbrella of Amazon. Yeah, that was that, you know, it's funny you mentioned it because that all was new information to me. I'm sitting in the theater. I'm like, oh, look, Orion Pictures. Have I seen one of those recently? And I'm like, oh, an, MG, an Amazon MGM company. That's great. <laughs> right, exactly. Um so what I decided to do is uh, just like I did with RKO and Carol Co. and Canon, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give you a little information on Orion. Oh, goody. Ahead of time, I'm going to apologize to the people who don't care about the business side of this stuff, but I find it fascinating, so I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and dive in. So Orion started in 1978 when three executives at United Artists quit their jobs because of dissatisfaction with the Transamerica ownership. Hmm. So Arthur B. Krim chairman of United Artists, Eric Plesko, president and CEO, and Robert S. Benjamin, chairman of the finance committee, all quit. And Transamerica's chairman and and UA's Krim began to publicly insult each other. (laughs) And the final break came when Transamerica refused to provide an expensive car for one of United Artists' Hollywood executives. (laughs) (laughs) This is the business of movies, am I right? Yeah, exactly. So after twice suggesting that Transamerica loosen its grip on the company, the three abandoned ship on Friday, January 13th, 1978. And the following Monday, two more UA... Go ahead, I'm sorry. What is Transamerica, though? What company is I don't know. I I, I didn't bother. There's a lot on Orion, so I didn't... I felt like it was too much. Some kind of company or other. Yeah. Um, But Transamerica owns UA. Maybe when we get get a UA movie and... the ranking will will go into Transamerica. Can't wait. Well, the following Monday, two more UA executives, William Bernstein, the senior vice president for business affairs, and Mike Metavoy, senior vice president for production, joined the defectors. Two months later, in March 1978, the five executives formed Orion Pictures, taking as their corporate symbol a constellation with five main stars. Oh, well done. Excellent symbolism, <laughs> Orion guys. I bet that's Robert B. Krem's work. <laughs> Is that his name? As Arthur B. Krem. Arthur yeah. B. Krem, which sounds like it's like a joke name. It does, doesn't I mean, it? It's like it's like what you would name like a cartoon character, like for your for your for your uh satire magazine. <laughs> like Alfred E. Newman. Like Alfred E. Newman, exactly. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, crazy magazine. That's what I'm going to start. And Arthur B. Kreb <laughs> is going to be my guy. I've heard that getting into the magazine business now is a good idea. Really? 
<laughs> no. Okay, that was sarcasm. <laughs> we need that kind of writing for the magazine. Are you available? <laughs> yeah, actually, I am available. That's good. So the company, holding a $100 million line of credit, set out to finance films that would be made by independent producers and distributed by another studio, Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. with Orion maintaining full control over distribution and advertising. So the new company's greatest asset was the expertise of its leaders, who had won three Academy Awards for Best Picture in the last three years while at UA, which was kind of unheard of, right? I mean, it's kind mm -hmm. of three in a row. So in late March 1978, after, right after they founded it, Orion announced that it had signed its first contract, an agreement with actor John Travolta's newly formed pr production company to film two movies. Contracts with actress-slash-director Barbara Streisand, actor James Caan, director F Francis Ford Coppola, and writer John Milius quickly followed. In mid-April, the company announced a two-picture deal with actor John Voight, and, more importantly, arranged to finance and distribute films for British entertainment giant EMI. By the end of its first year, the company had put 15 films into production and had an additional 12 directors, producers, and actors set to sign on, making Orion a major Hollywood studio from its very inception, hmm. which is kind of fascinating. It is. In April 1979, so a year later, the same year it lost one of its original founders, Robert Benjamin, Orion, Orion's first film opened in theaters called A Little Romance, mm. which starred Laurence Olivier mm -hmm. and Diane Lane, okay, <laughs> who was like 13 or 14 at the time. Great. That is, that is a little romance. Yeah. It was it was a romance between like, you know, it was like a high school romance. So not Lawrence Olivier, okay. romance, 13 year old Diane Lane. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it looked cute from when I looked it up. I was like, oh, this looks like a cute one. Um, but they only had one hit by the next year, by by April 1980. Mm -hmm. And that was the movie 10, starring Dudley Moore and Bo Derek. Yeah, that was a ten of a movie. I've never seen it. Yeah, me either. <laughs> and by the end of 1981, Orion had grown unhappy with its film distribution arrangement with Warner Communications and began looking to expand its distribution capabilities by acquiring the assets of a failing Hollywood studio called Filmways Incorporated. So founded film, in 19... Film, I'm sorry, Filmways? Filmways, yep. <laughs> All one word. Okay. Founded in 1952, Filmways had never quite made it into the big leagues of filmmaking and had lost nearly $20 million during the nine months ending in November 1981. So in February 1982, Orion announced that it would take control of the company. Orion's partners in the $26 million deal to purchase Filmways were E.M. Warburg Pincus and Company, a New York investment house, and home box office. <laughs> a, subsidiary of, yeah, a subsidiary of Time Incorporated that acquired pay and count pay into cable television rights to, fu to future movies produced by the studio in the deal. I mean, these guys are just wheeling and dealing at this point. Yeah, yeah. are they making movies or are they just it's like they just want to make trades? Yeah. So a month after the takeover, Filmway's new owners announced their intentions to make the studio a major player in Hollywood within the, within the next two years. As a first step in this process, Orion dismissed more than 80 Filmway's employees from their jobs and brought in 40 of their own people, including 15 executives. I feel like the feeling that this company has already is that they're mm -hmm. like, executives are the best. Yeah, they're just brown more executives. And it's like, <laughs> you guys are actually the least important component of this. But okay. <laughs> so in June 1982, Filmways announced that its name would become Orion Pictures Corporation and, th and that the company had been quasi-reorganized to put it on a sound financial footing. With films slated to be released through the end of 1983, 
Filmways was now able to produce with a full schedule of operations. So by July 1984, Orion had yet to generate a big hit since taking over Filmways and announced intentions to invest $100 million in order to release 12 to 16 movies a year. Of the first 18 movies the company had released as Orion Pictures Corporation, 10 had been profitable, 5 had broken even, and 3 had notched losses of less than $2 million. Oh, that's not such a bad loss. Well, I mean, you know, they made money. And the mo- more more of them were profitable than not, so I would imagine that recouped the losses, right? I feel like but, if I was the one responsible for that, they would fire me. <laughs> They'd be like, you're not very good at this. We need more executives, less whatever you are. Well, so Arthur Krim admitted at the company's 1984 annual meeting, quote, we've had some singles and doubles, but haven't had any home runs, end quote. Good, so this, good, this- good one, good one, Krim. Another, <laughs> another, another classic Krimism classic mm-hmm. so despite the high expectations that had greeted orion's founding the company had not produced a major hit since the release of 10 the dudley moore boderic one mm-hmm. the that's sequel. the one they're hanging their hat on yes yeah, <laughs> and the sequel 11 just wasn't as good <laughs> so they went through a period where they were in peril of losing the studio and went searching for benevolent rich guys to save them <laughs> so they just they just wanted a sugar daddy you know Yep. And eventually they found one. Oh, that's great. Metro Media, which was basically John Klug, Mm. who was the richest man in America at the time. Mm. And as luck would have it, it was perfect timing as that summer, 1986, they finally had another hit. Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Really? How about that? I remember really enjoying that movie. I actually like that movie. Um, I I saw it not that long ago. It's not bad. (laughs) It's not bad. It's funny. And they still ended up losing $32 million that year, but at least they finally had another hit. The beginning of 1987 worked out well, as the Academy Awards boosted the studio with movies like Hannah and Her Sisters, Hoosiers, and Platoon, which ended up being the winner. It was a good year. They ended up fourth overall in box office receipts and had three hits, Platoon, RoboCop, and No Way Out. But the success was short-lived, as you can imagine. Poor Orion. (laughs) It went through a bidding war between Sumner, Redstone, and Klug, which Klug eventually won and proceeded to have a string of flops in 1988, 89, and most of 1990. Like what? I'm excited to hear. Well, I, I didn't write down the flops, but um, it was kind of crazy because it ended up being uh, like $78 million Klug paid to get like 67% of the company, and everybody was like, you way overvalued this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, but oh well, I'm rich. Yeah, what do I care? So I'll just, I'll just buy Twitter next. <laughs> so um you know i had a whole bunch of flops like every year for almost three years then in december 1990 dances with wolves came out Mm. and a few months later the silence of the lambs we we need more movies with animals in the titles But those were just a couple of bright spots, and that, that didn't last long. By November 1991, Orion's losses had continued to mount, and its debt had reached $690 million. Mm, this is going well, guys. Yeah. And although the company was trying desperately to reach an agreement with its creditors that would allow it to release films that had finished producing, talks broke down early in the next month. And on December 11th, 1991, Orion filed for bankruptcy. Ironically, in March 1992, the Dead Studios film Silence of the Lambs ended up winning five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Mm. They did restructure after the bankruptcy, but never really did anything. Also, I forgot to mention, Orion is who produced The Terminator. 
and I just thought you'd like that, Zach. Mm, well done. <laughs> you terminated the competition with that film. <laughs> well, eventually MGM bought Orion Pictures in 1997 for nearly $700 million mm -hmm. and officially killed the brand. Oh. Only to bring it back 26 years later. Yay! Then in 2017, four years after they brought Orion back, they announced that it would be a standalone studio that would produce and distribute four to six modestly budgeted films a year. Oh, this is modest. I'm glad. Yep. But then, four years after that, MGM was bought by Amazon for $8.5 billion, which was announced toward the end of 2021 and was finalized in March of 2022. So, yeah, that was a lot. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, that was interesting to everybody. It was kind of a roller coaster ride. These, because these, you know what? It it seems like these because these we had these these successful execs they take over and start this new thing and then mostly fail. Yeah. Like it's and crazy, like, right? I'm sure they hung their hats on the couple of hits they actually had, but it's like, you know, I don't think you guys are as good at this as you think you are. Yeah, exactly. And that I feel like that story kind of keeps coming around. Mm-hmm. Where you get these like executives that are like, I'm really good at being an executive. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, that means you'd be really good at running a studio. And they're like, yeah, I know, right? Mm -hmm. And then they fail. They're like, I don't know what happened. I guess we just said <laughs> shitty writers. You know? I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, um, I know I'm good. I kind of reminds me of the film executive we see in American fiction. Just wow, yeah, exactly. you're a turd. You know. <laughs> Well, let's get on to this movie. There's just a couple of notables specifically for this movie. Um, and, you know, that's why I went on the long-winded business one. I just I still think that's really fascinating, though. But this movie started out with Cord Jefferson being troubled by the cultural fascination with stories about black trauma and suffering. Mm -hmm. Cord Jefferson is the writer-director. So even after deciding to pursue a career in Hollywood, following his time as a journalist, he was consistently approached to write narratives about slaves, gang members, and drug addicts and dealers. So in his words, quote, I want to make it clear to people that I'm not critiquing those movies about black trauma. I'm happy that those movies exist because, as Issa Rae's character says in the film, these are some people's lived experiences. There are people who are trying to erase slavery from American history right now. It's important for people to remember that there were slaves and that there were slaves and that they weren't learning valuable skills, as DeSantis says. Mm. It was terrible. I'm not saying those movies shouldn't exist, and I don't want people to walk away from this movie with that idea. The question is, why is this the most valuable work to these people who are greenlighting these movies and these stories, the vast majority of whom are not people of color? Why is that the most interesting thing to them? These are questions that the filmmaker has discussed at length with, with his Latino friends as well. Quote, for instance, why is every story about Mexico about a drug cartel or somebody fleeing their miserable circumstances in their home state? What is it about the salaciousness of those stories that really appeals to people? I thought that was an interesting quote. They, uh, at some point in the movie, I can't remember when, um, he calls it trauma porn. And I was like, that's yeah. a great term for that. I thought so too. That really stuck with me, actually. Um. So there's like, a lot more. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I, I you know, I, something about other people's, you know, watching stories of misfortune, I should say, that is fascinating for people. And I think it's even the case in real life. You know, we watch the news because we like seeing car crashes and so forth. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, um, it's like we want to pity, you know, mm -hmm. or we need to have somebody that's less fortunate than us. Anyway, so there's a lot more out there that are very similar to that quote, 
but rather than give you a whole bunch of basically the same thing, I'll end it with this just because it's kind of nice. Cord Jefferson read Thelonious Monk's lines in Jeffrey Wright's voice, like in his head, you know? So he was yeah. very excited to get him saying, quote, Jeffrey brings a real gravity to the role. That's why I had my heart set on him. And the movie became more real in a lot of people's minds when Jeffrey signed on. That's when the financiers were willing to part with their, with more money. That's when it started bec becoming much easier to get other actors interested in the project. So he was going to be the emotional center of the film because I just knew he was going to bring a weight to that character. Quote. Is that a crack about his, uh, his appearance? He looks fat in this movie. <laughs> because he's, where is the, where would the crack be? I think it'd be on his backside, but no. Um, you said it bring he brings a weight to the movie. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, no, actually, I, I I don't know what it is, but when I first saw the preview to this movie, I was more interested. I think that I might have been otherwise because Jeffrey Wright was the main character, and which is not yeah. to say that no other actor would I have been interested in. But I was like, oh, this is this this works for you know this is that's who I would cast it in, in this as well. All right, well, let's get on to the uh, the next segment, the movie overview. Movie overview. We're kind of working toward there anyway, because I was going to talk about Jeffrey Wright some more. But Yeah, well, go for it. I mean, we're going to start right off with him in the classroom, and he's got the N-word written on the board. You know, I didn't love this scene. I liked it. I was a little confused right off the bat at what we were trying to say. And aside from the N-word, because Monk here, I'm just going to call him Monk throughout. because like That's it. what I do, too, because it's way easier. Balonious. I get it. You know what I mean? He's correct. I agree with him. It's just that then he then calls, he says, when did everybody get so delicate or whatever he says? Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. Are you, are you making that like conservative argument that like nobody can take anything anymore and kids are all coddled? Because I don't like that either. Like, that's not something I agree with. And at this point, I, we're like right off the bat and I'm wondering, you know, uh, is this the kind of movie where we're portraying Monk as like, he knows, like, are, are we also in on the fact that Monk is not always right? That he's got these strong opinions and a lot of them are really valid, but a lot of them are like, you're not, you're not always right, Monk, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, I don't know that you knew that right at, at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, but as the movie continues, it's definitely the case where he's yeah. not always right. Yeah, not, and not that like whatever, but because well, I, I got what he was saying with the end. Oh, I did too. But and I loved the line. I got over it. I'm pretty sure you can too. Absolutely, that I 100 percent agree with that line. And I didn't actually even mind the fact that she left crying or whatever because it's <laughs> like you need to shut up after a minute for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and. <laughs> But you know, it was then when he calls them all snowflakes or whatever he does. And yeah, I, I I thought that was like anger expressing itself more than yeah, anything. me too. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, I got over that quickly. <laughs> but I was just like, oh Christ, is this gonna be like that kind of movie? Like talking about how you know college kids can't take anything anymore. But it didn't go in that direction. It's more no. It was we're we're seeing that Monk, uh, you know, not that he has anger issues, but you know, he's kind of frustrated with the world. Yeah, I think he, you know. I think he does have a little bit of anger issues here. Oh, absolutely. He's uh he's become very frustrated. And I enjoyed the idea that it was a, a white girl that mm -hmm. was telling the black guy, yeah, like, can't have that word up there. He's like, mm -hmm. Well, this is a class about literature of the old south, so it's gonna show up, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, we're not going to, you know, change that one character in, in uh, um, Huckleberry Finn's name because that's his name. Right, exactly. Which I'm not going to say. <laughs> what was that name, though? Uh, it was N-word Jim. Nancy? <laughs> yes, Nancy Jim. That's his name, you friggin' <laughs> turd. <laughs> well, they, they're going to force him to take a sabbatical, basically. Although, I guess it's a leave of absence because he asks for, a sabbat- for it to be a sabbatical later. Yeah. And how, how about that that shithead other writer character in this scene? I know. <laughs> what the fuck? By the way, that guy's in a lot of stuff. It's just... Uh, he is. You know what last thing we saw him that he was in? He was in Speed. He was, was one of the he... guys in the, in the elevator at the very beginning. Oh, that's right. And I recognized him then, and I was like, yeah. I know him from stuff. Yeah, he's from stuff. Just <laughs> fuck if I know what he is. Um, <laughs> but, he, I mean, he's great in this scene as a complete piece of crap. And, like, I mean, was, oh, my God, I would smack you if I was Monk here on my way out the door. I'd be like, oh, I, you know what? I really enjoyed funny. Monk's snark, too. Like, he's so mm-hmm. clearly, like, the smartest person in the room. It doesn't make him right all mm-hmm. the time but he's definitely very intelligent doesn't make and it I right love- and it you know he he kind of considers himself the smartest person in right every exactly he's a little arrogant yeah and uh proof that good things take time mm-hmm. <laughs> which i really liked and you know i actually i was already appreciating jeffrey wright's portrayal of the character too because he's likable but also you can see the problems that people have with him yeah absolutely but not like he's not just coming off as a jerk, as a curmudgeonly jerk. He's, he does have likable aspects. It's just like, mm, you have problems, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, and that that's good, though, because I, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times they have characters just come off sort of perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, either it's, it's a difficult balancing act, because sometimes they come off like they're just, you know, such great, you know, whatever. He's, he's this great genius writer, but also it's easy to have him come off just as a complete and utter asshole. It's like, well, I don't even want him to be redeemed. But So they do that pretty well here. Right. And, you know, it just goes to show that a lot of times the charisma of the actor oh, yeah. is what plays the huge role there. I actually, I'm talking about this, you know what it made me think of was Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because Robert Downey Jr. is like, I mean, there's not many people that can make Tony Stark make you want to like him. Mm-hmm. But rdj does it perfectly and i think jeffrey wright really toes that line as well with this uh role so Mm -hmm. like you know we'll get to the end more toward the end but like i liked the character and wanted him to be happy but at the same time i wanted him to face some of the consequences of his bullshit and was like you know what i hope he actually doesn't get his way here yeah and you know the good thing is um i think i think it all kind of happens that way Mm mm-hmm like, it doesn't work out perfectly for him, but it also doesn't work out so terribly that you're like, oh, well, I didn't want it to be that bad, mm-hmm. you know? Um, anyway, so, you know, he's uh, he's got his book. It's sort of like Sideways, where he's, like, waiting to hear back mm-hmm. um, to find out if his book's going to get published and uh, this, you know, publishing house passes. And he's like, damn it, you know? And, and the, his agent's like, well, they just wanted it to be, uh, he's like, more black. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't even believe in race as a taxi that he's trying to hail stops and picks up the white guy that's past him. Yeah, a, a bit on the nose, but under point taken. <laughs> you know, these movies that movies that portray failed quote unquote writers or struggling writers, it always makes me jealous because these characters always have books that are published. They're just not popular. And it's like, I'd like to even get to that point. Well, 
You know I'm what? So, you, I'm so failed. Nobody's even said yes. Well, you know what I think all the time? Because because Miles and Sideways, he's never mm-hmm. had a book published. Mm-hmm. Right? No, yeah, actually, that was. But he still got a fucking agent. Yeah. Like, yeah, and that's. that's how do you get a fucking agent? That's what I want to know. This made me want to write again, by the way. Well, you know, movies about... It's funny because, like, you can make fun of movies about and books about writers, but they're, you know, they do have an interesting... They do tend to be interesting because writers are weird people. So that's fun. <laughs> it's... Uh, it, I was... Yeah, I love movies about writers. All right, well, so we're going to see him watching TV, and it's an interview with uh, Issa Rae's character. I forgot her name. Um about uh, her new Centara Golden. Yeah, Centara Golden. And <laughs> she's she's uh, you know pushing her new book. We's live in the ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the epitome of what he was just, you know, uh, railing against. Yeah, nonetheless though, I will say we get this scene of, of her this this like very NPR white praise of her of her work and it's like yeah. um, <laughs> and we get that excerpt that she reads out loud which is not I don't know I didn't think that was good but no it was not good <laughs> that was the idea even outside of the vernacular like even if, if oh I know nothing it, happened it was like okay it was really stupid but I will say that I think I did here a couple of times that it was she was correctly using you know aave as they call it by which i mean there are rules to to african-american vernacular english it's not just like randomly at you know you just put wheeze or whatever put the s at the end of words randomly um there are there are, there's syntax and everything and it's you know it's, that's why people consider it a legitimate um what's the word when it's not a language dialect because uh, it expresses actually tenses that we don't have in standard English. But anyway, so it's uh, but then later when she says that a lot of a lot of this came from like literally from interviews, I was like, I actually believe that because yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's good, but it you know, it's at least somewhat authentic. Well, right, yeah, I, I that I mean, we're gonna get there. This is way later in the movie, but I really loved that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's save it for the, for that. Actually, sorry to bring it up. No, it's okay. So, um, you know, I, obviously Monk hated the excerpt that was read, and um, and then he he he. We, the next thing is that he's getting picked up at the airport or whatever by his sister. He goes to the, I can't remember. He I can't remember how, but he's with his sister now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he went to her place of work, and then she drives him home because he had some drinks or something. And. Uh, mm-hmm. She goes through this whole sp- spiel of like this riddle. It sounds like she's telling him. Yeah. And it's a matter of Roe versus Wade. And then it was like the worst <laughs> slash best like dad joke of all time. <laughs> she told it. I literally didn't know where she was going with it. I was like, is this a real story or is this I know. Like- and then someone in my theater just like laughed, guffawed out loud at that joke. Really? <laughs> They're like, ha, 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 ha. and I was like, okay, <laughs> that's funny, there, guy. <laughs> no, it didn't get any audible laughs on my end. Oh, you're lucky. In my theater. Then she just like pulls out a cigarette, and starts smoking, and I was like, I could not handle somebody doing that in the car with me. I'd be like, mm, no, you're gonna put that the fuck out. <laughs> What's her car? I'd be like, okay, well, if that's your argument, then I'll just fucking walk. <laughs> 
Thanks. <laughs> no, you have strong feelings about this, don't you? Yeah, I do not like the smell of smoke, and I don't have to sit in the car where you're smoking. Sorry, fella. I think I'm um, going to start smoking just to annoy you. Because <laughs> we see each other so often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll be here smoking over the internet, and you're like, you know, I can't smell that, right? And I'm like, damn it, now I'm addicted for life. <laughs> so she's like talking about, uh, she, you know, she's getting a divorce from her husband, and he's like, oh, I never liked him. And she's like, oh, I know. <laughs> and he's, he says something about how, like, oh, do you remember what you told me? And, or she says, do you remember what I told you or something? Like, you know, something about how it's not my business who you fillet. <laughs> she's like, I didn't say fillet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the essence of the of the of the feeling is there you know we hear that we hear going into this that he doesn't he's like oh i don't have the greatest relationship with my family blah 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 but then actually he kind of does i wish i had that good a relationship with a lot of my family yeah it's really not that bad it's more that i think it's more that he feels like he doesn't relate to them mm -hmm. like he just i think he's got a superiority complex mm-hmm um, oh, which, absolutely. Yeah. Which is sort of what he needs to get over. This part of the story is hit hit home better for me than, than the rest of it, actually. Mm -hmm. Like him just trying to relate to his family and, you know, not, not that I'm relating to it because that's how I feel. I just mean, like, I thought that was more enjoyable than some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the other stuff. Well, so... You know, she's like, he, he's talking about how she's a doctor and you're like, you actually save lives. And she's like, books change people's lives. And he's like, really? Did anything I ever write, write change your life? And she's like, yeah, my dining room table was wobbly as hell. Yeah. She's already was the, really good. She's the joker of the family, which I like because, yeah. you know, they, I don't feel like they always give that role to the female character. She, you know, often the sisters slash whatever are just in the background. Right. Well, that's where they should be. So yeah. I took some points off for them doing that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anywho, did um, they ever um, give like a definitive birth order for these three siblings? They didn't. I didn't either. I couldn't tell if he was older or she was older. I, obviously, I think it, it gives you the impression that Cliff is the youngest. I I felt like Monk was the middle. Mm. And and she was the oldest and cliff was the youngest that is very much the impression i got as well and that is exactly the way me and my two siblings are and i felt very much that's why i got i got that vibe from 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 uh from monk i was like i'm feeling i'm feeling a lot of that monk that's <laughs> you're reflecting a lot of my life there so i'm just gonna go ahead with my head cannon, even if it's not true that you're the middle child because good lord i, have an I got the impression he was the uh he was the middle yeah Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he, he, they they end up at the at the house, and he sees his. I guess he's got. A, they've got a live-in maid. Yeah, they have a maid and have for years. I yeah. wasn't sure what she was at first. Lorraine, and I was just like, yeah, I was like, is this his mom? And it's just not. And I was she's like, she called him Mister Monk, and I'm like, yeah. It's oh. like you can just call me Monk, and she's like, oh, I can't learn new names, and I'm like, well, that's not. You just leave one off. <laughs> it's, it's actually easier. It's shorter. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. And and then, you know, he says how he, oh, I feel a little fat or whatever. And like, oh, you look great. Blah, blah, blah. And then his mom comes. She's like, you look fat. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks, mom. <laughs> we're seeing just a little bit of, uh, of where he gets his uh, issues from, you know? Yeah. 
well, because you know, the, and then she's like, "Oh, so you have all the hallmarks of depression, but you're not depressed." Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, she seems loving. Mm-hmm. Ah, and she she didn't really seem that bad, to be honest. No, she doesn't seem that bad. But you know, later when he's looking, because we maybe shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, but he's looking for nursing homes for her, and Cliff says, "Why are you looking at the best ones? She wasn't the best mother." Oh yeah, that's I forgot about that line. So now we're gonna go to uh, to a restaurant, and they're just like talking about their dad's affairs. You yeah. know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the mom comes back like, "Wait, we gotta stop talking about it because here comes mom." And yeah. she just comes back and goes, the waitress isn't wearing a bra. <laughs> They're both like, uh, monks like I didn't notice. The whole thing is, it's really fascinating because we're getting a lot of this, how he just does not want to define his his work by his race, right? Because now they're mm-hmm. going to like a bookstore or something and he's moving all his books. Mm-hmm. We're going to, uh, then, you know, he's going to go have lunch or something with his sister and they're having this talk and she's talking about you know uh, emotions i can't remember what exactly came up here but he's like is boredom an emotion yeah <laughs> and then she dies and then she dies yeah that's that um that was shocking it was shocking to me too because i was like oh was i wasn't expecting them to dispo- dispense with her quite so quickly and she like she was so funny yeah i was like can we get more of her no she's dead okay that's fun I guess uh, Tracy Ellis Ross had things to do. I don't know. I know. It's just like, wow. I mean, she sure ate up the scenery when she was when mm-hmm. she was in it. So she did the most with her role. I will say maybe, that. Maybe that was it. They were writing it, and they were like, wait a second. This movie is becoming about her because she's so fun. Got to get rid of her. <laughs> exactly. This is Monk's it can't movie, be about not. women. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, um, actually, I kind of would have liked seeing a lot of her thoughts about the race stuff later because she was just as self-assured as Monk and probably just as smart, but uh, not hung up on a lot of things quite the way he is. So maybe more she'd have, she might have more of a clear headed take on a lot of this. Yeah. It would have been fun to see them sort of about like, I would have liked to have seen him have a confidant about mm-hmm. having written the, uh, about having written fuck. It's like, aside from his agent. You mean? Yeah, exactly. I agree. It's surprising they didn't go that direction, even with the love interest. I know. I really thought they would. And, you know, the thing is, for me, is that it just would have been nice to get a reaction. hmm I thought for sure they would do it with, with Issa Rae at some point, and they didn't. hmm But, uh, you know, whatever. It's not... It's fine. I just... It's anyway. not fine, okay? <laughs> I guess it's fine. I don't, I don't care. I also... Can we just talk about... It was a really effective way they showed her dying. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, her 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 foot not moving. Yeah, because it was being you know pumped. Mm-hmm. They were doing CPR, and then yeah, and all of a sudden it's not. Yeah, it was really good. I actually agree. Um, again, it was like out of nowhere, but hey, you know, I guess that's what death is sometimes—completely out of nowhere. So now you know we're going to get a funeral of sorts, and we get to meet Cliff. Mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown is going to show up, and he's like, "Ah, I'm crying." And she has a death letter, apparently. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go compose one of those right now, and it's gonna be just as fucking silly because I want everyone, to, <laughs> I want everyone to be uncomfortable at my whatever. I was thinking, I'm like, man, I gotta write one of these because this is fantastic. You know, I like the fact that we just we meet Cliff and he's a bit more emotionally shaken up than Monk. Um, we learn a couple of things. We already know that he and uh, Lisa was the sister's name. 
Okay. He and Lisa were closer than Monk was to and either Monk of them. Was, right, because he was close to his dad, mm-hmm. and they weren't. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so it makes sense that he's more emotional, but also we see a character that's much more emotionally, I don't know, not just open, but aware of his own emotions than Monk is, you know? I feel like even if Monk is sad, he's not going to let himself be sad about this. Right. I mean, they have a little bit of a moment where he chokes up. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then fucking White Phillip shows up and he's like, are those remains? Do you have a permit for this? Yeah. <laughs> Sterling K. Brown's like, I will fucking kill you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I love them because I was like, this fucking guy needs to get the hell out of here. He's pissing me off. And then I love how immediately Sterling K. Brown, uh, Cliff is like, okay, you get the fuck out of here or else I'm going to beat your ass like right now. And, and then even this. Jeffrey Wright in the background was like, He's... you've always been a douche, Philip. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was quite the way to end that funeral or whatever, you know, this ash spreading ceremony. It was uh it was really fascinating. And then uh you know then they they go into the the beach house here and and Cliff is apparently a plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that he would have trouble with money being that, but you know, I guess well, the, the wife the ex-wife took half of it, I guess. So All right. You think that having half of a plastic surgeon's net wealth would still be a lot? You think so? But Seemingly not. He, uh, he seems to spend a, at least some of his money on cocaine. So there's that. <laughs> That's true. That will um, eat up your cash. <laughs> and then we get this whole bit about like, how much Tucson sucks. He's like, what's wrong with Tucson? There's one gay bar in Tucson. One mm-hmm. guy asked if I was Tyler Perry. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were hinting at it before with, with his sister. But now we're really getting a sense of the fact that his, there's something going on with his mom. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. she let the tub overflow and, and just is staring into space. This is actually one of many instances, though, where I'm like not sure what the time lapse is. I absolutely 100% for me, too. It's, it skips around in time and it doesn't feel like as much time pa- has passed as they say has passed. They'll and they do don't this, say like, it, though. Yeah. And you're they just infer. left wondering. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Doesn't Doesn't always work. Because, well, she's, he's like, what did you give her? And she's asleep at the table. And then they just continue having a conversation, but then now they're leaked. The thing is leaking. Mm-hmm. So when did she go up to the bathroom? It's and like, question. you wouldn't think during that conversation would be enough time for the bathtub to fill up and overflow mm-hmm. to the point that it would be leaking downstairs. I don't know. I just, you know, there's one aspect of the movie where I was, I was struggling because I was just like, I don't, how wait has, how much time has passed you know mm-hmm. and then he meets the neighbor and she's like oh i didn't think anybody lived there they said some old man blew his brains out a while back and as soon as she said it i was like oh shit yeah we, that's we, not gonna be good we even got the uh him saying that it must have been hard for mom to find dad and then you know she, they don't say what it was so it's like you know just you can only assume just oh yeah she found the dead body but no that's right and, particularly traumatic way to find someone yeah i mean i don't even honestly like i don't know how you come back from that i don't know how she could possibly even be like hey why don't you come in i'd be like i'm i'm gonna go never see you again i'm gonna go walk (laughs) into the ocean it's right there so yeah it'll be easy for me so he ends up going in and they're having kind of a nice conversation they seem to be kind of hitting it off and then all of a sudden the neighbor or the some guy shows up and you're like well this is weird yeah that was Strange and out of nowhere. 
And like, why wouldn't she have given any explanation? You think she might have? She when she introduces them, she could have been like, "Oh, this is such and such my ex," or whatever. Yeah. But instead, he's just left. He he just leaves, wondering what the fuck just happened. Yeah, he's like, "I'm gonna chug my wine and leave." Mm -hmm. <laughs> I loved that they made the gulping sound so loud. Oh, I know it was uncomfortable. It was kind of perfect. <laughs> So <laughs> he sees his brother who's like sniffing a bunch. So you get the first inclination that uh, he's doing drugs. And then he, he grabs a nip out and starts drinking. And he's like, it's eight in the morning. He's like, I'm not flying the fucking plane. I love the I'm not flying the plane. Line. I know. It was really and, great. And you know, it's kind of funny when people travel, these things, the rules about these things will change a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. The rules just kind of go out the window. Yeah, it's it's you know you're because you're waiting at the airport at whatever it doesn't matter what time it is you know it's dinner costs thirty dollars even if it's a sandwich and you can drink anything you want. But yeah, I mean, so now now we're gonna now we we're, we're heading to the doctor's office and he finds out his mom has Alzheimer's, right? And I'm just thinking, man, this dude came home to some bad fucking news. Yeah, I think he's bringing problems with him. Almost, he like comes home and he's like, "Oh, my sister died. My mom is has Alzheimer's. My brother lost his family, and clearly has a drug problem." Mm -hmm. So this is all great. Now he's gonna go back to his, I guess, his office, his writing den. I don't mm. know. Which is fucking, you know, like something that, I mean, you notice it immediately with this family, but like this family did well. Right. Yes, they are well off. It is not to say that being well off and black is not still very difficult, but uh, I kept thinking throughout this movie, you know, Monk, your your point of view on a lot of this stuff is not the same as a lot of other people, right? And and they that gets expressed later in his argument with Issa Rae. Um, I actually I would have liked a little bit more of that earlier on because not that I'm not like being super critical here. It's just that I kept thinking like Jesus Christ and like because the father was a doctor, right? Right, a whole bunch of doctors. And like you grow up with a live-in maid, you know, monk. Like, and then you have these two properties to fall back on. You know, you're not doing well, but you can go live at one of your two properties in, you know, Massachusetts. Yeah, and that's just th their properties. Like, that's just his his parents' properties. I assume mm -hmm. he's got something in L.A. Yeah. How much? How much do you suppose either of those houses would go for? The beach house or the giant fucking Victorian <laughs> right. house with wood floors? Uh, probably twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Really? It would be less because they're they're in black neighborhoods. Just so they're in black neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the millions, but okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. So, um, yeah, but, but I, he's that den is gorgeous too. I know, and I loved the way they were showing his writing with like the actors right in front of him. I wanted that. more of that. Me too. I thought it was the so one cool. scene. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we get Keith David. Yeah, who I did not know was going to show up in this. Me neither, but there he is. Well, anyway, yeah, the whole scene, I just loved it. And he's like kind of talking to them. And they're like, well, well, that doesn't sound right. You can mm -hmm. come up with a better line than that. And Anyway, it was great. <laughs> like he ends up shooting. the guy. Mm -hmm. He looks over at the writer. And Keith David looks over. There, what the fuck was that for? <laughs> <laughs> and you know something? We get, we don't get much of my pathology slash fuck, but... <laughs> The little bit we do get, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than Weez lives in the ghetto. And yeah, I from the excerpts we've heard. 
Yeah, from the excerpts we've heard. And when later, when uh, I can't remember the agent's name, but when the agent reads out a passage, I I kind of I kind of liked that a little bit. I like the idea of it at least because the character is saying that he sees a you know a helicopter searchlight at the backyard. He's like. You know, it was the one light that I could go toward, you know, it was like lighting. It was the only light that I could find to, you know, light, you know, my way. And I was like, that's, that's kind of kind of works a little bit. Not a lot of it. Just a little well, bit. I think it actually goes to show that he is actually a really good writer. Yeah. That's so what even I mean. when he's being satirical, it's still good. Yeah. Like he's like trying to write trash and it still kind of came out okay ish. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that fuck is a good book. I'm just saying that that kind of worked for me. Like if he actually wanted to write this material seriously, it might have worked. Well, the thing is what I loved about it, it was that it was raw, you mm-hmm. know. Oh yeah, sure. And emotional. Yeah. And I just think it was really important to hear black voices. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> um well anyway, so we're gonna when he's done with the writing, we're gonna go to a scene where he's watching uh the TV and the TV's saying black stories all month and black story month or whatever and it's just all black people getting mistreated yeah it was i think those are real movies too they are it was precious and i thought precious and uh, i think 12 years a slave so it's just just really on point with what he's feeling just it's like okay (laughs) i like the white people don't want the truth they just want to be absolved Mm. and while i i think that's true for some white people I actually think what a lot of this movie is showing is that white people want, they want to know that it's still bad out there for like, they want it. They, I think that there's still this desire to show that they haven't made it yet. Like that, the, that black people haven't made it yet. That, mm-hmm. that, that so that white people can continue to pity them, mm-hmm. which is also disgusting. Yeah. And I get the point. And remember I mentioned just a minute ago about the fact that the uh, El- Ellison family, is uh reasonably well off Mm -hmm. and i mean i think you know monk's point is that you don't see stories about the ellison family like black families aren't allowed to just be normal and well off right i i'm with you that's and that is his point and i i his point is well taken i think Mm -hmm. you know this movie and probably jordan peele has changed the narrative a little bit on what on how we show it i was a little bit surprised this is again with the passage of time so mm-hmm. he's having like a really cute romance with the neighbor, which I was enjoying. And then he goes back to the house and the lights are off. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you didn't pay the bill. And I'm like, well, how fucking long have you not been paying the bill? Yeah. And like, it seems. How long and, has this been going on? Yeah. And I was wondering, like, wait, how long has this relationship been going on? Because yeah. they seem to have gotten close pretty quick. And I don't mean the sleeping together. I mean, the, like, you know, he's spending time over there and everything. And it's like we didn't really get much of an impression of exactly how long, how much time has passed. So, just kind of confused. Yeah. Well, plus, like, I mean, the electric company doesn't turn your lights off just like after a month of being late. You know, mm-hmm. like that takes some time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how it never occurred to him that somebody needed to pay it. I know. I know. Um, and so now we're gonna, you know, we're getting look at uh cliff we're getting a look at cliff because he's going to be on the phone with with monk and he's just doing coke just mm-hmm. like a bunch of couple of guys right or another i think it's just one other guy i don't know it doesn't one really matter one other guy right now he's he's taking a lover yeah yeah i'm gonna go take that lover right now <laughs> he's like i'm not offended that you're that you're gay i'm offended that you call it taking a lover you mm-hmm. know 
Dr. Dictionary or whatever, Detective Dictionary. Detective who, Dictionary, yeah. Who always has issues with the way other people use language. But so now we're going to find out from his agent that mm -hmm. uh, that these uh, publishers are not in on the joke. They want to mm -hmm. publish the book. They want to publish the book for a very generous offer. $750,000? dollars mm hmm And... And he's just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, holy shit, how do you turn down $750,000? Mm -hmm. I would not care. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, take it. Never care about that book ever again, you know? Right. Com completely di divorce yourself from ever having written it, but take the money. <laughs> I mean, you never have to say you wrote it. You used mm -hmm. a, uh, a pseudonym, so Staggerly. It's I'm, it's the name of an old blues song, Staggerly. Oh, really? I'm not really sure what the like definitive version of it would be i uh and I'm, I'm not really sure i think it might be the sort of old blues song that's like very stereotypical like like you know someone hears oh you're black well i've heard that song stagger lee in the past you know what i mean yeah okay <laughs> but yeah his, his his agent is a good salesman oh yeah because he like really turns us around <laughs> and <laughs> he gets him on the phone with uh the <laughs> the publisher and she's like you know, Stagar Lee, and he's like, or Mr. Lee, and he's like, this is he. And she's like, <laughs> and she's really? immediately like, oh, <laughs> this isn't the person I wanted to talk to. And then when he, you know, starts speaking more urban or whatever you might call it. <laughs> yeah, like, God oh, damn it, motherfucker. You know? I, I was confused there for a minute. <laughs> you think some college boy could write this? Mm -hmm. I'm, sure, I gotta, I'm sure I got people in the Hamptons will delight in it. Yes, we will. I mean, <laughs> they will. Yes. So good. What were you saying? I gotta say, no, she's she's good actually. She's very funny. Who I, yeah. I don't know who plays that character, but she uh, the character is is silly but funny for me. So I liked that. So now we're gonna meet Maynard, the security guard for the beach. I guess mm -hmm. for the beach. He's, he's a real Ken, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I do beach. It's his job. <laughs> well, he's got a thing for Lorraine, and Lorraine's mm -hmm. got a thing for him, which is uh, kind of adorable. It is. And Monk's mom is going to meet Coraline, the neighbor who he's dating, and she's going to say, I'm happy you're not white. <laughs> and then Coraline says, me too. Me too. Maybe one of the cutest lines in the movie, in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's talking about how Coraline reminds him of his sister. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're both fantastic kissers. Mm -hmm. I know it's supposed to be a joke, but it still is like, oh. Mm -hmm. Yep, same. Weird. Too much, too much, Monk. And then I was, I don't know, his mom's wandering. That's not good. You know? mm. God, Alzheimer's is scary. Um, Yeah, I was thinking, you know, it, people say it, but I was thinking it, just watching these scenes, you know, it's, it would be easier if she had just passed, you know? I know. Because you're just sort of waiting for it, and she's not really her anymore, although, you know, she, she still said hurtful things her entire life, it would seem, but now it's even more so. They're gonna the literary whatever you know. Yeah, the literary the literature awards. I was like, okay, <laughs> that is indeed a name, I suppose. <laughs> well, they're gonna call him, and he's gonna be like, "Yeah, every writer knows what those are, especially mm. when you have one one." You know, <laughs> it's a very writer funny. thing to say. But then uh, he's like, basically, like, eh, I'm not really, I'm, I don't really want to do it. And then the guy's like, "Well, you're gonna be able to judge everybody." He's mm -hmm. like, "Okay, I'm in." <laughs> I liked I liked how how uh, you know um, 
how upfront that guy was with the well we need more diversity and i know like, <laughs> and later he's like our very diverse panel and it's like jesus christ way to just <laughs> tell them the only reason you even care about them is because you need it to be diverse yeah. otherwise i wouldn't be calling you for my life but it's too bad that he didn't have just you know three black people and two white people because then yeah then it fuck might not have won yeah Although I like the other fake names of books, I can't remember any of them, but they were all they were all conceivably fake names of books. The frogs. Yep. <laughs> the Persians. The Persians. I wonder what that was about. Yeah. Well, it didn't. It never got published, so we'll never know. Um, do you remember the name of Miles's book? It was probably similarly pretentious. Oh, I don't remember. I'm not. I'm not even 100 positive. You find out. No, I think he tells you. No, he's, he, he's willing to tell you even if he didn't <laughs> so then now we're gonna find out that hollywood wants the rights to his like immediately yeah to fuck actually he hasn't changed it to fuck yet it's my pathology yeah. still mm. what his agent says something like like nobody's gonna read it you know they just mm -hmm. they have somebody else read it and then give him a report he's like the whole town lives on book reports mm. i just thought that was a really great line yeah it was really funny it reminded me of an arrested development because maybe needs a book report <laughs> she oh. ends up in the studio and uh accidentally ends up being a movie executive because she asked for a book report so <laughs> apparently that's true because people who make movies seem to be saying it's true <laughs> then you get jeffrey wright pretending to be hood when mm -hmm. he meets with the uh, hollywood guy and i thought that mm -hmm. was fantastic yeah that because it worked it really worked because he was so nervous about his mom mm -hmm. you know but <laughs> It was actually a very nice bit of acting because because what he's doing here is is he's not acting you know let's just let's just call it acting black um although i think you and i both know or would not necessarily have called that that ourselves right. but it's what they think so right. it's not jeffrey wright acting that way it's jeffrey wright acting like monk acting that way and yet it's still kind of convincing it's convincing and but you know the only reason it's convincing is because he's preoccupied with worrying about his mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it all it all it all was quite effective. It's very it's a very layered uh, take, which, mm -hmm. which I thought was yeah. Well done, Jeffrey we'll, Wright. We'll get to it, but I think he was very good. But yeah, so the the <laughs> the Hollywood guy here is going to be like, I'm doing a movie you'd really like. It's called Plantation Annihilation. <laughs> Yeah, it sounded great. Who is it? Who is it that he mentioned? He mentioned oh. an actual actor who was in it and gets decapitated. Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, that's right. Kind of, I don't know where. Oh man, that cracked me up. I was like, this um, movie sounds really bad. I don't want to. Actually, you know what? I bet Jordan Beale could make that into an okay movie. I bet he could too, actually. Um, or Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Actually, Quentin Tarantino already made that movie. Yeah. He uh, did. <laughs> but so he's gonna rush back over because of the ambulance right mm -hmm. and his mom's fine <laughs> his, his agent's gonna be like yeah some ad exec on the third floor had an aneurysm mm -hmm. imagine blowing your brain up trying to think of an ad for toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of my life not that i make ads but you know my brain explodes over stupid shit and you, so now we're gonna finally like he's gonna have they're gonna have these zoom conversations right with the other writers that mm. are judging and he's actually with centara and then he's mm. like oh wow i really agree with her yeah he ends, I, up, he was, ends up agreeing with everything she says which was an interesting i don't know reversal i don't know yeah it was it was fun because he was just like oh okay yeah you feel the way i do this is interesting mm. And then he comes home and Lorraine's getting married. Mm -hmm. That was to, nice. To 
Maynard? The Maynard. Yeah. Again, passage of time here. Yeah. How same. fucking long has this been? And she asked Monk to walk her down the aisle, which was really sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was sweet. Yeah, this is a bunch of sweet moments here. Is this when we find out that um, Cliff never went back to Tucson? No, not yet. Not yet? No. That's later when they're actually going to have the wedding. This is just they're in the uh, car gotcha. talking about um, that she's like, uh, I, he asked me to marry him. Because mm-hmm. the next scene is going to be him talking to the uh, publishing house again. And they're talking about how they want the book to look. Mm. And he's like, yeah, you know, I just want somebody with, I don't know what to say, the, the ones, the scarves that are tied around mm-hmm. their heads. Like, Oh my God. He's like mm-hmm. a do-rag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do-rag. <laughs> that was like just masterful cringe, that scene. Yeah. And they're like, we want to put it out on Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Like, I don't even know. I don't know what I would do differently if I was these execs, but I don't know. I feel like I would be not quite so clueless. Uh, it's unbelievable. And I love that he's just like, that's it. You know, I can't fucking do it anymore. I'm going to tank it. I want to change the title to fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so fantastic. And I love that they're like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> sure. Like, what the fuck is happening? Well, as he says, the dumber he acts. Yeah, the more money he makes. So now Cliff has come back. He he, mm. he had left. He was in Tucson. He comes back and he's like, I came to visit my mom. My mom. Like, you've been telling me I should do. Because mm-hmm. he's in the pool, you know? Mm-hmm. And Monk's like, get out of the fucking pool. <laughs> and then he pulls him in. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just a cute, like, older brother, younger brother scene, you know? Cliff is talking to Coraline, and mm-hmm. Coraline, she's funny. And Cliff's like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's like sad funny. You know, like like a guy who dies on the toilet, Cliff says. <laughs> I see it now. <laughs> and at this point, I'm still, I'm, I'm at, like, so Monk hasn't told anybody about this book yet. Yeah, except for the agent. That's it. Everybody else. Like, and like, it's, he has access to all this money, and he's just not telling anybody. It's, I know. I mean, he's got $4.75 million now in mm-hmm. this book. This book is making him rich. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like bands when they come out with a single and then hate the single. Yeah. Like, well, it made you a lot of fucking money. Like, maybe you should grow up. Yeah, deal with it, because I would, if you want, you can give me the money. It'll make yeah. you feel better. I'll fucking sing your single over and over yeah. again. How's that? Yeah. So, okay. And so, I he's going to go back to the, you know, he's bringing Cliff to see his mom at the place and that's when mm. cliff, cliff is like how are you affording this mm. it's funny because i i actually wrote i can't why hasn't he told anybody about the book yet mm-hmm. you know and then like two scenes later we get him being like where how are you affording this mm-hmm. and so in that sparks curiosity in Coraline as well right but mm-hmm. uh but yeah so his mom you know they had to sedate her i guess because she attacked an orderly or something. Yeah. Things are not going well, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, he ends up, so Monk is talking to Coraline and Cliff is in the room. And um, I think this is the point where Coraline's like, yeah, how are you paying for this? And he's like, you're my girlfriend, not my bookkeeper. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay, Monk. Kind of harsh out of nowhere. Okay. But we're going to get more of that soon. So I hope it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I hope she... didn't put you off Monk entirely. Cause then, uh, then we go back to the room and Cliff is like really nicely dancing with his mom. And it's like, it looks mm-hmm. like a really sweet scene. She's like, yeah, I always nice. knew you were a queer. 
Mm -hmm. And then he just quietly leaves. I'll be outside. And, you know, Monk, you know, says, you know, she doesn't know what she's saying, which is true, but, you know. But she still does, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like when people are drunk and they're like, I didn't mean to say it, I was drunk. And it's like, right, you were being honest. That's what happens. In, in, in you know, Veritas, the Romans used to say, in wine there is truth. Mm. And he, I just, I'm like, he really doesn't want people to like his book. Yeah. It makes him, like, actually angry when people like it. It's like, okay. Yeah, well, he gets really mad at Coraline later, but I loved that it gets submitted for the literary award. Yep, and he didn't even know, and he's just like, mother, you know? Like, yeah. He <laughs> submitted my own fucking book. And then, and you know, he's, like, trying to tell everybody, like, I don't think we should do this, you know? And mm -hmm. they're like, no, I think we should. He's like, yeah. Oh, the, no, no, we shouldn't. These these three white panelists are interesting, because it's him, it's Sindara Golden, and then it's, like, kind of conservative guy who maybe writes cowboy books or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, right. And then two, like, then, college professor liberal types. Yeah. <laughs> but they all agree. They all agree. Other. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is where we find out that Cliff didn't leave. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And then Lorraine is just a real sweetheart to him. Because he, he's like, get the fuck out, right? Monk is like, get the fuck out of here. And Lorraine's like, no, you can stay in your family. Mm-hmm. And it just like decreases the tension quite a bit, which mm -hmm. is nice. It is. Um, and you know, this is a tense situation. He's got two random guys he met living there, which is it's not a problem that they're guys, but rather the random guys were and they're in their underwear, which they're like their, yeah. again, that's it's not like you can be in your underwear in the house. I get it, but like if it was two broads in there, you know, and they're unmentionables. <laughs> That it would, would be still be weird. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No matter what it is, it's still just odd that you're in your underwear there. Um, with a banana hanging out, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the so anywho. I guess we, we skipped over the fight that he has with uh, Coraline. Um, yeah, that fight is brutal. Yeah, it's really not great. Because he really just shuts down on her. And she's mm -hmm. like, what the fuck is going on with you? Because he, he finds that she has a copy of Fuck. And, and then she that she liked, liked it. And that she liked it. And because I know exactly, I don't know, the feeling of, he's like, well, she said that she liked my other books she read. But she also liked this. Right. <laughs> so, and also just like, I don't know if I want to be with someone who liked this this sort of thing. But he is just over the top. And, you know, he said several, several glasses of wine. And then, you know, so... Yeah, and then he's like, people like you and stuff like that. I'm like, jeez, mm -hmm. man. It's, uh, it's rough. And, uh, you know, I like the fact that, like, I, you know, not to give it away, but they don't really get back together, and I like that. Yeah, I uh, I thought that was sort of interesting. And, she's not know, at the wedding, despite the fact that she's across the street. But, you know. I, w I really was expecting, you know, a reconciliation there. Mm -hmm. There wasn't one. Which... I was okay with. I was okay yeah. with there not being a reconciliation there. I would have liked some closure. Though. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, they talk about that at the end, but we'll get there. Yeah. But anyway, this it's a really cute wedding that Lorraine has. You know, it's really sweet. I like that mm -hmm. uh, Cliff and Monk like like high-five each other as, as Monk's walking her down the aisle, mm -hmm. giving her away. I thought it was nice. And then he gets to have this really wonderful conversation with his brother. You know, because mm -hmm. brother's like, oh, so you guys split up? Did you shut mm -hmm. down all stuff? And he's like, yep, yep, yep. Did you and piss her like, off? Yeah, did you piss her off? Yeah. And then did you, like, keep her away? Like, hold whatever it was. Mm -hmm. People people want to love you. I don't really like I know. People want to love you. I was like, damn, that's, like, a really affecting line. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't see it. 
<laughs> I don't see what they see in you, but okay. <laughs> they want to love you, Monk. Let them love you. And then, you know, they're having this whole discussion about, like, <laughs> we cut back to the, the literary awards here, and they're deciding which books are going to be where, and they're putting in, the, and then we get to finally, like, <laughs> for me, it's fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, my God. He's just like, no. And I love that Issa Rae is just like, this is pandering, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, it is pandering. You're We're right. Not person i hate <laughs> yeah <laughs> well what i really enjoyed though is he's she's like well she looks at him and she's like well what he's like he goes really you think so or whatever and she's like yeah did you not think so and he's like no i did i just mm -hmm. you know I didn't think you would and then they have this really powerful discussion mm -hmm. monk and uh Santara here i loved that i could i could i wish i like i wish i could watch it again just so that i could hear it again you know mm -hmm. No, yeah, it's really good, actually. I feel like I'm just agreeing, but um, no, I, this is one of the best parts of the movie for me. Yeah, me too. I um, And I love that she's like, well, yeah, it's what the market wants, and why shouldn't we do a good job with giving the market what it wants? You know, like you can... Like her point was, is you don't have to pander to give it what it wants. You can, you can do really researched, nuanced story while still you know giving mm -hmm. the wants it's just an interesting point you know and uh it it, it takes monk by surprise mm -hmm. i really wish there could have been some finality to that to that discussion though like i hate yeah. that it gets interrupted and we never get to go back to it it gets interrupted and like i would have liked a lot to have seen her reaction to the to the fact of his having right written fuck Yes, me too. And like, it's so funny. And I know, like, he's he's telling himself it was a joke, whatever. I wrote it as a joke, but like, and like, I actually agreed with him a hundred percent when he's like, "Well, how is it so different from what you write?" Yeah, because um, it's not that different from what she wrote. And you know, but then she does also point out that a lot of what she wrote came directly from people's actual lives, unlike his, which is just completely made up. Right. And like, why shouldn't those people's lives be represented? And I don't know. It was just a really interesting conversation that I agreed with both sides a lot of the time. You know, I, I know had good that, points. It was really bizarre to feel that way, right? Because yeah. you're like, well, right, I agree with what he's saying, but I also agree with what she's saying. Yeah, and it's Which like in another in kind of the point. Yeah, in another lifetime, they would just agree completely on everything. You know, right? But uh, yeah, it was really fascinating. And this is when I specifically really thought of the fact that, like, well, you know, Monk, you're not like you're really being part of the part of the whole machine that overlooks people like that she writes about you know that right. like i Which know that race doesn't, point is yeah and i know that race doesn't matter to you but it matters to a lot of people because it has to matter to them you know and that's something his agent says mm -hmm. right in the beginning is like yeah. well everybody else on the fucking planet it does matter yeah so and i actually wanted more of you know pointing out monk's blindness about this I don't feel like we got quite enough about it, but you know, this is actually where well, I also would have liked to have heard more of him defending his point of view too. Cause oh, I felt like he made good points. You he know? absolutely did. Yeah. So, and cause his, a lot of his point is that, well, why is it only that? Right. That's what he, and that's his whole thing. It's, it should be more than that. We should, we sh they, they shouldn't be relegated to these stories, which you know I agree with. No, absolutely. And you know what line that she says that just was like home run for me? when he says, um, how, why am I the only person who sees black people's potential? And she says, potential oh, means you don't think they're good enough. 
It's that like, was amazing. And that's yeah. when it got cut off. Yeah, that's when it stops. And I was like, damn it, more. Like, no, more. Yeah. <laughs> Leave white woman <laughs> who really liked fuck. So what are we talking about? <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. By the way, I kind of like the title. What, fuck? Yeah. I know I'm sounding I like what I didn't nope. do, actually. It is in your face. It's it kind worked. of perfect yeah. for what it was. I thought it was better than my pathology. I did too. But you know, maybe we're just those people, those, those, those other panelists. I don't I know. know. But <laughs> no. oh well. But yeah. So if that's a fantastic scene, fantastically written and acted very good. Well, so now we're gonna go back to uh to his mom again. She's gonna say, you know, she's he's gonna ask her if she knew about the affairs, and she was like, Of course. I yeah. did. He wasn't very good at lying. And um, she's like, well, why didn't, you know, he asked her, why didn't you leave him? And she's like, well, because then he would have been even more lonely. And he's like, you think dad was lonely? And she's like, geniuses are lonely because they can't relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, that's, you know, that's why you have trouble relating to people, mm -hmm. Cliffy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, so does she think Cliffy is a genius? Cliff is a genius? Cliff is the genius? Yeah. It's quite the, this is an emotional roller coaster dealing with her. No, right? A lot of these get these, uh, these two. Oh, I was going to say, just before I forget again, um, I actually almost feel like keeping Lisa in the story and not killing her so early would have been good because she she might have been a good voice of reason, more more so than Cliff, who's like very tied up in his own stuff, which is fine. But I feel like she could have done a lot of like, you know, Issa Rae's character has a point, Monk. I know, you know, and so I think the, the, the premise here is that with her gone, he doesn't have that rudder, you mm, know? That's a good point. Um. It just, I just, yeah, I, I wish we could have seen more of, of that, of that conversation. I, I wish we could have seen continued conversation between him and Issa Rae. Him and, and Sarah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Because that was a lot of fun. Nobody else is really holding him to task about any of this. No, and she doesn't even know that she is, really. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then, you know, later when he gets, you know, later, we'll, we'll, we'll get there when, at the book awards, we get like a look on well, that's her where face we're headed she, next yeah she's starting to realize wait is it is he saying that he wrote it or and i wanted more of that too but anyway i know well because what he says what really happens is that he left mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know he's which is the hallway which is a disappointing way to end that but you know. i'm okay with it because it feels more real that he would have just left instead of acknowledging it you know mm -hmm. yeah and then he's and then he calls and like yeah i got another movie idea mm. it sort of a weird ending in the sense that he's the ending is him talking to this movie guy again and he's like telling him this whole story about how he doesn't want it to be about black trauma mm -hmm. and then of course the ending that they end up going with is him getting shot by the police yep that's what the movie executive thinks is perfect it's actually really interesting here because i think the him walking out ending isn't satisfying and i know monk's point here is that like it no it's not satisfying but yeah. it's not yeah like and i know like he doesn't want to pander to people's emotional whatever but it isn't and then yeah. i i kind of liked the him going to to um i can't remember her name the neighbor who he had the romance with the 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 the, the second ending he had yeah, the second ending i kind of liked that where it pans out without finding out if she got back together with him that yeah. was the bet that was the best ending it was opinion. and uh i loved that he mentions she won't return my calls in real life yeah because like I, I loved this because they he, he asks her to the book awards, by the way. Will you be my date? She just never gets back to him. Right. And I love this because he was a real asshole to her. Yeah. You know? And I love that she's like, she's no, also not. of the age and he's of the age. We're yeah. like, why would you even like, I'm no, I'm not. Gonna yeah, I'm not dealing with this. that. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm not like a kid, you know? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, I and it's not like this big blown up, you know, uh, emotional role thing with, with them. It's just, you know, she's like, no, I'm not dealing with that. And I thought that was great. It was a very, like, realistic and mature way of, you know, yeah, sometimes people just, it's how, how great of her just to cut him out of her life because he's being that bad, you know? Right. And this, yeah. this goes back to, like, you know, you like Monk, but also, like, fuck Monk, that was too much, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's what he does in the very beginning. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's funny, but like you're you're going too far, you yeah. know. And will he ever, you know, learn that, get over that? I don't know. You know. Well, I think there's kind of showing that he is by yeah. accepting that they're gonna do this ending, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, yeah. fuck it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly, they mention the movie that they're gonna make is basically American fiction, right? Right. Exactly. And so everyone's gonna find out he wrote fuck unless he really unless he really hit it better than it seemed like he did. <laughs> so everyone's gonna go, wait a second. So the actual writer of this movie is the guy who wrote the book. Right. They should figure out. So that would be interesting to see how everyone reacts to that. The fact that it's revealed in a movie as well. Yeah, I mean it's a good idea for a movie. So he's gonna he's gonna leave that meeting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you saw this. I mean, it's probably a little on the nose, but like there's some interesting symbolism as like yeah. right before they have him walk out the plantation scene, mm -hmm. like background drawing yeah. goes goes by the doorway and then he walks out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like there's something. I mean, I know they're just saying he's he, he's joined him on the set of Anni Plantation Annihilation. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like they're saying something like like we're all still just leaving the plantation. Yeah, to, absolutely. To white people, and like you say, a little bit on the nose, but not to the point that it like I wasn't audibly groaning. I was just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. Um, I liked, know. I liked the him making eye contact with the actor. Oh yeah, I know the, the actor. Like gives, gives the peace, peace sign. sign. Yeah, I liked that because I, I like it's like Monk coming to terms with the fact it's not this actor's fault. You know, the actor's just trying to make some money, right? And it's not even like a lot of the filmmakers' faults necessarily. If some director needs money and takes this project. Yeah, I mean, it's and not besides, even necessarily the executives' fault yeah, it's the executive either. Fucker, yeah. Well, it's not even their fault exactly either because if they put it, they're putting it out because they're going to make money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they so, want to make money, not make a, not you know, yeah, whatever. It's the general audience, <laughs> like you know, it's it's white people as a whole, really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the world you live in, monk. You know, you can't yeah. necessarily do too much about that. Um, but it ends with him making more money. So. Yeah. I guess That's there's that. Good for him. I like now that he's, he's like, are they gonna make the cliffs like are you gonna they gonna make your movie? And he's like, unfortunately, yes. Well, it's well, like, yeah, you poor guy. Yeah. What I will say is that you have millions and you have these two properties in in you know rich areas of near Boston. So yeah, you can I, hang your hat on that. Yeah, I feel bad for you. <laughs> if that was my childhood home and now basically I had you know, because I'm sure it's still in the mother's name. It became a millionaire yeah. like overnight. Mm -hmm. I would, uh, that's, uh, as, as Marlo Stanfield says in the wire, that's what they call a good problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's decided to toss that in there with my being white and really liking <laughs> something wire. that is, could be, yeah, something so, could be, uh, conceived as black trauma porn. But anyway, well, that's the whole movie. Um, I guess we can go on to the rank. Oh, rank. So the rank is where we rank the movie based on 10 categories, story, acting, originality, film coherence, cinematography, score slash soundtrack, script structure and dialogue, 
character relatability, production value, and timelessness. We rank it on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best. And um, the first category is story, and I go first. So I gave it an eight and a half. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a really fun and fascinating story. I love that it upends the way we view art that's outside of our own experience. You know, mm-hmm. It's interesting that it really turns it around on the audience and says, you just want to pity us. We will mm-hmm. not be pitied. You know, mm-hmm. um, I tried thinking about the actual story, too. So it's about a writer who doesn't want to write black, quote unquote, you know, art and is getting increasingly angered by it, but goes home and sees his family and starts to turn his attitude around a bit. Also, there's no real conclusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says he likes the ambiguity in the movie, but I, I'm not sure if it ultimately worked here. The ambiguity, yeah. um, not that it didn't work. It just didn't. It just didn't feel as complete to me. So that's how I ended up where I did. So what about you? I gave it an eight. I'm I'm basically exactly there with you. I also think the ambiguity didn't quite work, and I love ambiguity movies. I'm one of those people who like will uh, thrill in, and you know enthrall in such things, and other people are mad. Um, and also, just I don't know. I wish the story would have either focused more on the him writing it or on more on the family. I actually would have. That's how have, I felt. I might have liked the movie just about him and his family, and it, like the writing stuff isn't even necessarily as much a part of it. Which I know there's no plot to the movie anymore, but <laughs> but like you know, disaffected writer goes home to see his family is actually not a bad story in and of itself. No, I mean the plot to the movie is, I think that it could easily be turned into a, almost a romantic comedy of sorts, mm-hmm. yeah. and it would be enjoyable in my opinion because you know. Whether there was reconciliation with Coraline or not, yeah. that could have been the direction it headed is him trying to reconcile his relationships with his family mm-hmm. and his newfound love. Yeah, and it was strange for me because I ended up thinking the personal relationships were some of the strongest stuff and some, right. of, the fuck, some of the fuck stuff was good, but not really as good. Yeah, so. exactly. And you know, and like you said, if if we if we hadn't focused anything on really the family, you know, not not and not nothing, but not yeah. as much, and yeah. we had gone more towards that. Yeah. Then I probably would have liked that too. Exactly. You could have really focused on his thing with writing. I think it could, he could have spent more time writing it. A lot of it could be about the process of him writing this. Uh, We could have gotten more with these fake characters that he made up um, interacting with him. Uh, We could have gotten how the writing process works and maybe even like his state of mind starts to feel a little strange because he's so engrossed in this idea of, you know the, the of what the black experience is is it is it my life or is it these people's lives and i mean i think you could have had an entire movie of them just you know judging the books mm-hmm. oh yeah you know that's another like, another good point you know i mean they could have had like maybe not the entire thing but that could have been the the focus of the movie is mm-hmm. his relationship with these other writers and especially with this Issa Rae mm-hmm. and, and um you know and sort of have some finality and and uh closure on their discussions and how they mm. feel about the, the written word and the process and yeah. how it sells and all that stuff. I think that was yeah. really cool. And tr- trying to balance these, it, it just didn't quite work as well as it might have. No, and that's not to say that it, it didn't work. Yeah. Because it, you know, I thought it was good. Yeah. And obviously <laughs> you did too. And eight and eight and a half is not, these are not bad rankings, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm with you. I, mean, I think that's... Yeah, this is why I like talking about it with you. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's right, right, yeah. exactly. That's how I felt. <laughs> kind of like we're having a discussion with Centaur Golden. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, next category is acting. So what do you have for that? Um, acting, I think, is an 8.75 for me. Um, I feel like you're probably going to be higher. I thought it was very well acted. 
and I think 8.75 is reflective of that. Yeah, that's that's basically it for me. Um, I'm kind of interested to hear what you say, and then I'll respond to that. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a nine and a half, and like mm -hmm. I went into it thinking I should give this a ten because I can't think of anything specific that didn't work, mm -hmm. you know. But for some reason, they just didn't feel like a ten to me. Mm -hmm. Um. I can't put my finger on exactly why, but maybe it was just that some of the characters were a little too caricature-y, mm -hmm. um, which isn't necessarily a problem with acting, you know? But yeah, but it, actors but it comes across that, that way. Yeah, exactly. You know, so <clears throat> I'd actually be really curious to hear what you say because, you know, I was like, I feel like you're going to say the things that I couldn't put my finger on. Um, well, actually, the caricature -y comment is is kind of what i was feeling too like i mean these actors are going to be limited by the lines that the, they put in their mouths and i'm not saying the movie is poorly written either it's just that you can right and you know they didn't get as not everybody remember we talked about in story we talked about some of some of its lack of focus and i mean that kind of affects the actors too because the actress who played um Coraline, whose name i don't know didn't get much screen time so she can only do so much um you could have made a really interesting movie just about Sterling K. Brown's character, but you know, and we're also seeing these characters at a certain at particular points in their lives. What was what was his character like back when he was married? What is his character going to be like farther into the future when he's not making up for lost time being gay? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I almost feel like um, Monk was a little bit limited by his by his indiscriminate, you know, directionless anger, and. Um, I, I see. I mean, it's. I hate saying this because, like, if anybody cared what I had to say, this is what they would put on the fucking you know review summary. But I've seen Jeffrey Wright be more complex than this. But I get that the character is a bit more straightforward. But I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. I. Hmm, that's interesting. You, I thought Jeffrey Wright. I thought the character was. I get what you're saying. He, he's very driven by this one sort of thought. In mm -hmm. this. Um. But I do think that they try to provide complexities to him, you know. Yeah, yeah, this is not to say, yeah, I don't mean to say that he's not, just, I don't know. Yeah, well, all right, the way, I think I'm going to go down to a 9.25, but. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say. I really thought he was, I, I thought Jeffrey Wright was excellent in it. Yeah, I did too. All right, well, let's go on to the next category, which is originality. And uh, I gave that an eight and a half. Mm-hmm. So a movie about a writer isn't new, right? Mm -hmm. But the message of this movie is very new, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a lot of fun. I, and I loved the way they incorporated dark humor here. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a it's a movie that's that's sort of preaching to you, but it does it well enough that you really you really think it's just the character. Yeah. And not that it's trying to say you know, hey, we're talking to you, movie going audience. <laughs> um, it was a line that I think Gentleman's Agreement tried to walk as well, yeah. but didn't but didn't do it. Didn't do it anywhere near as well because it was really preachy directly at the audience. Right, exactly. Well, they had people, you know, giving speeches that were like nobody would say this. Yeah, this isn't actual conversation, Gentleman's Agreement. But I mean, not, and I agree with the content, like <laughs> exactly. highly. But come on. So I didn't think it was the most original movie ever, but I thought it was pretty original. You know? Yeah, I gave I gave it a nine. Um, okay, there you go. Yes, I, you know, I thought the premise was really good, and like as soon as I saw the trailer the first time, I was like, "Ooh, fun premise! I'm gonna like that." And like you might say, "Well, it's a writer; he's just he's a writer struggling to write and everything." That's, that's a lot of movies about that. Yeah, I know, but this is <laughs> this is a unique take on it, so that's good. 
and and you know it's like i feel like part of what the movie is saying is that you know black voices don't get to tell their own stories and here's a, a very specific example of you know someone telling a specific black story that isn't just generic you know whatever right yeah and no, I, you I, know i i actually kind of like it was really fun seeing they have the same problems lots of families have and it doesn't really matter that they're it matters that they're black obviously but that doesn't it's not the only focus the fact that they're fairly well off is not the only focus you know so yeah. they were actually allowed the depth that white characters are usually is reserved for them exactly well, let's go on to film coherence what do you have for that um i gave that a uh, 7.75 i'm interested to see what you'll say as usual um a lot of i ended up confu confused a lot of times like exactly what's going on here like you said to the time jumps Mm -hmm. It seems to cover a lot of time, but it didn't really give me the impression that a lot of time was passing, except for the fact that a lot of time must have passed, because otherwise what I'm seeing wouldn't make sense. And um, that ended up making it feel very rushed. And like, can we spend some more just time with these people that isn't just, you know, I don't, I don't want to just hear that four weeks passed or something like that, because this book is already done and being published. Um, I want to have seen those four weeks or whatever. So... I don't even I don't even need to have seen it, but like mm. tell it to me. Yeah. Give me like a title card that says four weeks later or something. Yeah. You know, like just give me something so that I know how much time has passed. So I can get mm -hmm. a, a sense of like how long this relationship has been. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at it and you're like, okay, well, they've been dating for two days, like that's not really that much. Yeah. But the reality is it's probably like six months. Uh, you just yeah. don't have that sense. You know, you can get the sense sort of infer it from the fact that they're really comfortable together, but sometimes people get really comfortable together really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you're trying to present to me here. Um, yeah, I gave it an 8.25. Okay. And it was, it was very much about the, uh, the time jump. To me. Yes. Yeah, I also, also would have liked a more satisfying ending. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was actually going to interrupt you and say that um, <laughs> another portion for me is that, you know, I liked how, uh, you know, it was the, the ending was kind of original and creative, but at the same time, it's sort of an admission that they don't know how to end it. Uh, some of the lack of focus and not feeling like I got really much satisfaction out of any aspect of the story because we tried to focus a bit too much on all of them. Yeah. Also hurt it a bit for me. You know, it's funny because the flow was was good, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I, I, I just think they needed to, they really needed to give us a little bit more exposition to know where we were in the story. Mm -hmm. So... So I, you know, and I, this might lead to uh, to the, what's next, the next category, cinematography, and I just want to point out when we talk, when we're talking about this, this is a first time director. This is the first yeah. time he's ever directed anything, and I think there are points at which you can tell that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, still really excellent for your debut. Yeah, I think. So I gave cinematography an eight point two five. I thought the cinematography was really good. Um, it wasn't breaking any new ground or anything, but it was effective. It was well-framed, mm -hmm. um, especially like that scene in the hospital. Yeah. You know, and, and I, what I was really most impressed by was that it was, this is a directorial debut, you mm -hmm. know, like you, you did a great job. Sometimes I think when you have a directorial debut, you, you like kind of want to play with it a little bit. You want to like yeah. show your style and your flair. This guy was like, no, I'm just going to put it well-framed. I'm going to put the people where they need to be. So that the focus is where it needs to be. And I think that's should be lauded. Basically. Mm -hmm. So what do you have? Yeah, I gave it an eight for, I mean, you said everything. Um, did a great job of letting the actors express their emotions and act. Um, 
you know, show people's faces and let them do their thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, um, yeah, we're you pretty much on I'm the same page. Think, yeah. yeah, no, we're pretty much on the same page as, uh, with a lot of these. So let's go on to score slash soundtrack. What do you have for that? I uh, gave that an 8.75. I thought it was really good. Really fit the mood and was just nice to listen to. So it just gave you some nice background music. It really gave you a feel for the characters. It um, it was kind of jazzy, right? Yeah, well, it's, they went with that on purpose because of Thelonious Monk. Um, it actually ended up making me wonder if Cliff was named after Clifford Brown. And they just oh, named maybe. their kids after jazz musicians. And But then I was like, what's Lisa? Maybe there just is no woman. Lisa's from <laughs> The Simpsons. She from The Simpsons. saxophone. That's, you know? Yes, that's exactly what it was. Um, 30 <laughs> years before the show debuted. But... uh. Actually, way less than that. But um, yeah, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, I gave it a seven point two five, and I might go up. Um, I didn't notice the soundtrack much, mm-hmm. much. Uh, and, but when I did, which was only a couple times, it was it was serviceable to the scene. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that it really elevated anything, but it wasn't bad by any means. Um, I think it. I think I might go to a seven point seven five because it was nice. It was like elevator music in the background. You know, which is funny because I said it didn't elevate anything. Um, <laughs> I'm so, sitting here like, why is that voice? <laughs> so next category is script structure and dialogue. Um, I gave it a nine. I found mm-hmm. this to be a hard category, actually. Mm-hmm. Because the dialogue is excellent. excellent. The dialogue is a 10, you know, mm-hmm. like I could have listened to them discuss things for the whole movie. You know, mm. but structurally, it's got issues. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the passage of time, as we've discussed ad nauseum, um, the establishment of his fake fugitive status, I think, is kind of lacking. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. It was funny, but it felt too slapsticky for the movie. You know, mm. I, I might even, I, I'm curious to hear what you say. What do you have? This is script structure and dialogue. I'm sorry. I, was, I wanted to go back to, um, soundtrack just for a quick sec oh sure go ahead um i was looking it up just to make sure of the title um it ends on a song i recognized i didn't couldn't remember the name of it but i knew it was um nat adderley and um other people i think miles davis was in that one too but it's a song called one for daddy O," and it just i thought it was an interesting one to end on since it's called one for daddy O." Oh, that is interesting. <laughs> it's completely stupid. But that was the only real song I recognized in it. A real song. Only song from the outside outside of the movie. But anyway. Oh, that is sort of fascinating. Um, it fits sort of with the, with the story. But anyway, yeah. Yes. What do you have for script structure and dialogue? This is a hard one for me, too. I, I gave it an eight. Um, and actually, exactly like you said, dialogue was top-notch and the, the it just it was a difficult story i bet to write in that like where how do we fit everything in how do we make everything coherent but i know i want to read the novel it was based on yeah it didn't do it didn't do the world's best job at that so yeah it's the structure that, mm-hmm. that lets it down a little bit <laughs> it almost would have been stronger if it had just been a lot more scenes of you know just let let them talk you know don't even the right. story doesn't even matter so much just let the more of a direct more of a sideways style. Yeah, sideways style. Take my movie sideways style, please. <laughs> well, the next category is character relatability. So I'm going to be really curious to see where you're at on that. What do you have? A nine. Um, could have been higher even. I think that the characters were really well done and extremely well realized. And I think it's one of these, you know, it's one of these movies where they make the family feel very real and very like, oh, yep, I see 
you know, this is even if my family doesn't have these exact problems, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm feeling right. what they're feeling. Yeah, I gave it a ten actually. Mm -hmm. I uh, I think every character in this is like incredibly relatable. Mm -hmm. Even you know, even when they're caricature and sort of two dimensional, they're still relatable, right? Mm -hmm. Like you feel for the motivations of every single character in this in this movie. Even this, like I said, even the small ones, like the book exec and mm -hmm. the movie people, like you can relate to their motivations, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like it's sort of embarrassing, but I can definitely relate to being a stupid white person. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's my job. <laughs> um, but yeah, Je uh, Monk was relatable. Cliff was relatable. I mean, everybody was just, I, I thought, I thought it was really excellently done character wise. I'm supposed to show the dialogue was. Really oh, absolutely. That's what I mean. Like, I almost wish that it was less about the, the, the concept, which is a very good concept and more just about the characters just hanging out. But, um, I loved the way that they first present Centaur golden as though she's a tool. Right. Right. And, but then she becomes like a really well fleshed out person in a very small amount of time. I know like, I wanted more of that because they did that so well. And I was like, I love that she's becoming like a, multi-dimensional human and not just some you know i also uh, really loved the romance between monk and uh Coral. oh yeah yeah that was also really good when like we just didn't get enough of any of that i know it's you know what it is it's just there's so much potential mm -hmm. yep that's <laughs> it that's what it is all right so let's go on to production value um i gave that a 9.75 mm -hmm. i thought that was excellent um i really enjoyed the house and the beach house they all oh, felt yeah. very real you know mm -hmm. Like it wasn't ostentatious wealth, but like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I could see them being wealthy enough to like have this sort of thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't yeah. like, oh, this is crazy. Particularly they bought that house, you know, before, you know, any of the kids were born even or something like that, or when they were right. young and it was less money and now seems a lot nicer, but at the time it was just a big house for a family. Right. Exactly. The places they used for all the different scenes felt pretty apt. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they put you in the place you needed to be, which I thought was really good. And it's funny because writing about it, while I was writing, I was like, geez, why am I not giving this a 10? You yeah. know? But there's just something that makes me think I shouldn't. So I'm going to go with, I went with my instinct, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like maybe it's the movie studio bit at the end or maybe the nondescript room where they're debating the books. Because it just felt like, where are they, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but it's just not quite a 10 for me. Well, I'm curious what you're going to say, so maybe it'll change me. Well, I actually only gave it an 8 um, only. I think it, it, in what it required, it did a very good job of. But, you know, I don't feel like it was asking too much of, of production value. So it was just sort of like just find this locations and everything will look professional and well done. I will say that that this the scene where he gets shot at the end, it's kind of weirdly not that good. Um, like, mm. The, the the effects i don't know if they use those squibs that like they put in your clothing and it makes it look like you got shot or or if it's digital but it, it looked it looked weirdly fake to me but i i don't know if that was the point you know i think it kind of was yeah i think it kind of was too but it kind of took me out of it a tiny bit like why are we seeing this like obviously fake part like in his <laughs> imagination it should at least be a little bit better i don't know <laughs> so anyway yeah i feel like maybe i should be higher but i feel like it was perfectly good and but not very demanding. So, yeah, it's tough because I'm like, is the idea that it's not as demanding? Because I get what you're saying. I, mm. I I struggle with this category 
in some instances because I don't want to be like, well, the only movie you can get a 10 is like, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, like something that had to you had to spend a lot of money on, right? Um, because like a low budget, they should still have good production value, even mm -hmm. if it's low budget. So yeah, I don't know. Um I think I'm okay with where mine's at because I think they did a good job with it. Um, so let's go on to the last category. And I'm so glad you have to go first for this. <laughs> Timelessness. What do you got? Uh, I gave it a nine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like this would be better judged by a black person, frankly. <laughs> because I don't really know. Is this, you know, is, is it going to be like a landmark movie in race relations? I don't know. I just don't know. But I think it makes important and interesting points. So, and you know, it even just presents stuff that I think a lot of white, a lot of the white audience might not have ever thought about. Is all. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, it's a tough category. I gave it an eight and a half. Okay. I think this movie should end up should end up being timeless. Personally. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a suspicion that it will end up being kind of a cult classic type of movie, unless of course it wins Best Picture, and then it won't have any problem staying in the zeitgeist. Um. For me, it was an aspirational eight and a half. Mm -hmm. I just felt like it, des <laughs> it deserves to be timeless. So hopefully it is. Mm -hmm. um, My entire life is an aspirational eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. That's the whole rank. Um, yeah. How did, how did it do? It got a 172, yeah. which nestled it right between the holdovers if the holdovers gets nominated. If not, then it's between Sideways and Finding Neverland. Huh. That's interesting. I liked. I think I liked Sideways better for sure. Well, Sideways is above it. Above it, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this was above the holdovers, though, or is it below it? Below. It's below the holdovers. Okay, I'm pretty. I'm pretty comfortable with that. And you said and it was it's above. Close. I mean, it's because yeah. Sideways is one seventy two point eight five. The holdovers is one seventy two point seven, and Finding Neverland is one seventy one point three five. So, and American Fiction was one hundred seventy two. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty comfortable with that. What was below it? You said. Um. Finding Neverland. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty comfortable with that, actually. Yeah, I think that's a good spot for it. I don't think it was the best movie of the year, but, I, you know, it's funny because I really liked it. Like, when I was in that, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. But when I, I was well, doing the categories, I was like, oh, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not up come to up stuff with some of these. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is that, like, you're not going to regret having to go on, go on to see it. You're going to enjoy a, a good movie. And then just when you actually look at it all, yeah, it's probably just the weakest of the very good crop of movies we've done so far. Yeah, it's the weakest of the 2023 ones. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, weakest doesn't even sound right, you know, because mm -hmm. it was the lowest ranked of our 2023 rankings that we've done mm -hmm. so far. You know, and I guess we could say it right here. And we don't know what's actually going to be nominated, but we mm -hmm. have uh, Killers of the Flower Moon on top. With mm -hmm. Barbie second, Oppenheimer third, and then Poor Things, and then The Holdovers, and then American Fiction. That's mm -hmm. how we have it right now. American Fiction is still number nine on the list. Mm -hmm. that being said like to, of the total list so it still did well it's above finding neverland bridge of spies the martian the revenant room the big short the bishop's wife spotlight crossfire ray miracle on 34th street gentleman's agreement million dollar baby great expectations and the aviator i mean all good movies though is the thing yeah great great ex or, uh the aviator the aviator is the worst of them but it's also at the bottom so <laughs> I, I this is like the one of the uh, maybe a couple there's a couple of them that i'd be okay not having seen 
<laughs> Sounds harsh, but <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I would have been okay with not having seen the Aviator or Great Expectations. Yeah, probably the same. Although you know, there are moments. Honestly, Million Dollar Baby too. I was like, yeah, it's actually true. You're right. Well, anyways, <laughs> anyways, this, all is, right. this is the shit all over the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if you'd like to see an updated list of our rankings, you can see that on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com. Obviously, we. Like we said earlier, we don't know what the nominations are right now. Um, and if there end up being more than the six that we've done, then we will do them as, as soon as we possibly can and get them recorded and edited and ready to to uh, to be listened to before the before the telecast, the Oscars telecast. And we're thinking about having a a special episode before the Oscars telecast where we do our predictions mm-hmm. for the uh, for the Oscars. And uh, you you won't see it, but we'll both be wearing tuxedos, I think. Yeah, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like a good use of money. Um, <laughs> I actually own one, so. Oh, I don't own one. And if I did, <laughs> I'm sure it, if, it wouldn't fit me anymore. That's um, an excellent point you make. <laughs> I haven't been fancy in anywhere near long enough to, to still fit into it, anything. But anyway. So, yeah, I'm not sure when this is going to be scheduled to be out. Um, but. I would say look out for it uh, for maybe next week. You could probably listen to Payback. <laughs> maybe. That might yeah. be the next one. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But anyway, yeah, thanks again for listening. Goodbye. And on to the next chapter. <laughs> <laughs>